Hey, it's Nathan, and this is day 70 of the Bible in 90 Days. We're in Zechariah, Malachi, and Matthew. Today we finish the Old Testament and begin the New. So let's get going. Zechariah 11 begins as a warning of coming destruction on Lebanon. God declared, I will no longer have pity on the people of the land. I will give everyone into the hands of their neighbors and their king. They will devastate the land, and I will not rescue anyone from their hands. While God tried to shepherd the flock with his two staffs, union and favor, they detested him. So he said, I will not be your shepherd. Let the dying die and the perishing perish. Let those who are left eat one another's flesh. Following this, both staffs are broken. After this, a new shepherd was to be raised up who would not care for the flock. Then a curse was uttered against the worthless shepherd. Zechariah 12 is a prophecy of disaster coming on the nations. On that day, when all the nations of the earth are gathered against her, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. All who try to move it will injure themselves. On that day, I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Zechariah 13 begins... On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. Idols, false prophets, and the spirit of impurity will be removed. One of the final verses in the chapter is this one. Awake, sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. Zechariah 14, by the way, a chapter worth reading, prophesies disaster coming on Jerusalem, when your possessions will be plundered and divided up within your very walls. However, the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. On that day, there will be neither sunlight nor cold, frosty darkness, and there would even be light in the evening. Living water would flow from Jerusalem, and the city be rebuilt, and never again will it be destroyed. Jerusalem will be secure. Israel's enemies would be struck by a plague, fighting each other in great panic and leaving behind vast quantities of plunder. Those who survived the plague would go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles. Those refusing to go would suffer under a plague. And then we're on to Malachi the last voice we hear in the Old Testament. He urges God's people to be faithful. Malachi 1 begins with God reassuring Israel of his love and then calling out the priests. It is you, priests, who show contempt for my name. 
How had they done so? By offering defiled food on my altar, lame or diseased gifts, they wouldn't even offer the governor. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Malachi 2 continues the rebuke of the priests, declaring that God has caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people. Why? For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi. The people are then urged to be faithful. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Further, the people have wearied God by justifying injustice. Malachi 3, a chapter well worth reading, begins with God promising to send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. The next section of the chapter is a rebuke to the people for unfaithfulness in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Then a gracious promise is made. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. The final lines of the chapter are a promise that the remnant will be remembered and preserved, a treasured possession. And the section includes these words, A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. Malachi 4, either way a chapter well worth reading, the final chapter of the book begins, Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every plunderer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. The righteous would trample on the wicked, ashes under their feet. However, before all this, Elijah would be sent to prepare the way. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. And that's the end of Malachi. And now we're in what's referred to as the New Testament. But a word on that. The designations Old Testament and New Testament are artificial and unhelpful. There is nothing in the text of Scripture that creates or supports such a division so it's best to simply ignore it. And on a different note, we're about to get into the Gospels, and while I'll share chapter recommendations along the way, 
I would highly recommend you simply read all of them. Pick your favorite one or simply start with Matthew. Give yourself a week, a month, however long you need. When you're finished with one gospel, read the next one. When you've finished reading all four, repeat, repeat, repeat. Now for Matthew 1, which begins with the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. It's worth noting the basic divisions in the genealogy as Matthew explains them. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. The rest of chapter 1 begins. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. The story is then recounted of Joseph and Mary being pledged to each other. Mary becoming pregnant before their marriage, Joseph puzzled at what to do, and an angel telling him, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The chapter ends with the two marrying, and some time later, Jesus being born. Matthew 2 tells three main stories of the Magi's visit, Mary and Joseph's flight into Egypt, and their subsequent return to Nazareth. The Magi see a star which ultimately leads them to Bethlehem, where they give gifts to the young family. Then, after being warned of King Herod's evil intent, the Magi return home by a different route. When the Magi leave, an angel warns Joseph to take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. They do so, and shortly after, an outraged Herod unleashes a horrific killing campaign against children two years old and younger. After Herod's death, an angel appears to Joseph, giving him the all-clear to take his family back to their homeland. However, with Archelaus on the throne, the family settles in Nazareth, a town in the region of Galilee. Matthew 3 recounts the ministry of John the Baptist, who followed in the tradition of the ancient prophets, wearing a simple garb of camel's hair. His mission, preparing the way for the Messiah. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Many were baptized by him in the Jordan River. His ministry included calling out the corrupt religious leaders. As he preached, he proclaimed the coming of the Messiah. After me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The chapter ends with Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist, at which time the Spirit of God descended like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Matthew 4 begins with Jesus retreating to the wilderness, fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Then, while desperately hungry, being confronted by Satan himself. Not once, but three times. The first two temptations challenge him to question his identity, if you are the Son of God. The third, however, offers an easy way out. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. To each temptation, Jesus responded by quoting scripture. 
Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. After this, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In the process, he called his first disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, all fishermen. All four respond to the invitation without hesitation. The chapter ends with Jesus traveling the region, preaching and healing. The news of his ministry spread quickly and gathered large crowds. And that's all for today.